0: to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. Starting a new series uh, with this episode here, and my good buddy Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, is joining me for this one. We're going to be covering Night Force by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. And in this first episode, we're going to cover the preview from Teen Titans 21, and also issues 1 and 2 of the series. And we're going to go into our, you know, uh, personal uh, dealings with this comic book, Dr. Andrew was a big fan of this, uh, bought it off the racks, and I'm more of a newbie to it, so we get some really good conversation going here. So stay tuned, and after this quick break, we'll be back.
1: An instrument of murder is hardly a proper toy for an eight-year-old, as sure as my name is Boris Karloff. And this instrument casts an evil shadow even beyond the death it has caused. And upon it is the mark of the hand that's the name of our story based on a novel by the celebrated charlotte armstrong our principal players are miss mona freeman miss jesse royce landis mr shepherd strudwick miss rachel ames and mr judson pratt let me assure you my friends this is a thriller <laughs> Hey,
2: everybody, welcome back to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. Uh, Really, really pumped about this episode because I am finally getting to dive into reading a series I've wanted to read for a long time. Just finished up collecting it uh, maybe a year or so ago, and I was going to dive in and read it right away. But I thought, no, I'll save it for later. So I kind of just skimmed through a few of the issues, but uh, I just started reading it recently to talk about it on the show And there was definitely a specific guest when I knew I was going to podcast about this that I wanted to hit up to see if he wanted to talk with me about this. And that would be Dr. Ange. How are you, man?
3: I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. I am a big fan of all your shows, so I'm excited to be part of this. one.
2: Yeah, man, it was uh, what I listened to. You jumped in on a few of the issues with uh, Paul and Ryan. Ooh, what was that? Maybe about three or three years ago now, four, four years ago, somewhere in there.
3: Yeah, somewhere around there, back when it was um, uh, it's midnight, the podcasting hour. And Ryan was covering some horror books. We talked about this book.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great podcast, by the way. I'll I'll sing Ryan's praises all day long. That was great stuff. I was kind of sad to see it end. Um, but, you know, hey, you know, people's lives change and he's got a little guy running around there now at home. So, you know, priorities have to shift sometimes. <laughs> All right, so yeah, man. So we're going to talk about Night Force. So this uh, was, I think this was the first collaboration after Tomb of Dracula ended between uh, two of my favorites, Marv Wolfman, and then my favorite artist of all time, Gene Colan. So, you know, what are your thoughts about those two guys overall?
3: You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm very much a DC guy, not a Marvel guy. And so I have maybe read, uh, you know at most two issues of tomb of dracula i've heard how fantastic it is um but i've always been a fan of Marv wolfman uh you know he was on teen titans obviously he did omega men for a while i was interested in that at the beginning he did crisis on infinite earths um but i'll tell you that as a kid and specifically when this book came out i was reading it off the shelves um i don't know if i quite appreciated gene Colon as much as i appreciate him now i think he's one of those guys that as you grow up as a comic book reader and mature in your tastes that you begin to realize what a genius he was. So to see them together on this and especially, you know, how great this story is, um, is just fantastic.
2: Yeah, they, to me, are one of the great teams of comics. um, And I even have more of an appreciation for them as a team, you know, diving into this series here as well. But yeah, for me, Tomb of Dracula, it's my favorite horror comic of all time. I think it is one of the best horror comics of all time, especially a longer-running series. You know, you can't really compare it to, like, an anthologies like, you know, EC had or anything like that. But when you look at a a long-running, continuing series, 70 issues, and, you know, they were a team for probably 63 or 64 of those uh, comics. I think they did so good on there. So when I had learned uh, a little bit later on that they had, you know... Come back together to do this night force. I thought, I've got to get this. And I did get a few issues right away. And like I said, I'd skim through them and kind of look at Gene's artwork and think, wow, looks great. You know, he's got a different inker here other than uh, Tom Palmer, who, you know, just as a quick aside, he actually just passed away recently as of this recording, which, you know, really sucks because he was a great inker and I
3: think he was the best inker Gene ever had. Uh, uh,
2: yeah. What did you think of Tom Palmer?
3: Yeah just a spectacular talent and really sad to see him go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew he was getting up there in years. I think he was 81 maybe, but you know, it's just oh man, a lot of these guys that, you know, we, we, we grew up on It's They're starting to disappear here and it's just really, really so sad. The last five, 10 years have really been tough.
3: Yeah. And, you know, and uh, it's tough because, you know, there are some of these guys that it's, you know, you hope that you're going to see them at a convention and, mm-hmm.
1: uh, and
3: they, you know, so now definitely when I see them at a convention, it's like it's time you got to go up, say hi and, and thank
2: them for all their works. Yeah, I was lucky to meet Len Wein maybe a year before he passed away, two years tops at a show. I can't even remember which one it was now, but uh, I was glad I, I sought him out uh, because, uh, like you said, it's just, you know. Just some of them are getting up there in years and just different ailments and things like that. Yeah, I definitely am going to get to the point where when I go to a show, if somebody's there that I want to see, I'm going to wait in the longest line just because I I want to see them, you know, and I want to, you know, get to say, hey, your comics are great, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you know, let them know how much I appreciated their work. So, all right. Well, yeah, quick aside there about that. So, all right. Back on track. So, uh, Night Force. Uh, This actually... DC did this I think it was just in the early 80s that I'm aware of they you know were having some new series come out and they did these uh, previews like they would stick a preview in the middle of another one of their books and I'm not sure I mean I think this this it's a good idea but I'm not sure if you're putting the right book the right preview in the right book if it's you know is that reader of that title going to be interested in this preview so this one was you know jammed into new teen titans uh, volume 1, number 21, from July 1982. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that would uh, help or hinder it at
3: all? He, um, you know, Titans was obviously their their flagship title at this point. You know, Titans and Legion um, were really carrying uh, DC or, or were the most popular books. But I agree, this is such a different tone than your standard superhero fare. It seems a little bit out of place here. I do wonder, though, did Marv Wolfman say... I want my book to be previewed in my book, you know, um, uh, as a way to sort of promote himself. Um, Mm. But but you're right. You know, I mean, this was still back in the time of House of Mystery and House of Secrets and those sort of books. It seems like it's it's better suited for one of those.
2: Yeah, it it is interesting, because like you said, there's a lot of eyes, obviously, on a book like Teen Titans. So you think, okay, a lot of people are going to see this. But I think. Are a lot of them going to then say, oh, wow, this preview was great. I want to go pick up this, you know, horror book with, you know, Satan,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Satanic stuff going on in it. I'm not sure those two things, you know, translate. But I just think, well, you know, other than that, what were they supposed to do? It They would have just had to come out with a number one uh, right out of the gate because otherwise, you know, that was it. It wasn't like they had, oh, well, let's uh, let's do a free preview on free comic book day or something. They couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so a little bit before those times, but you know, I think I, overall, I'm I'm glad they did do it that way. But if they would have had, you know, come out with a number one too, that would have been fine with me too, and this would have been 15 issues. But eh, regardless, either way, pretty cool stuff here. So, all right, well, why don't we just jump in here? So, like I said, this is a, a preview in uh, New Teen Titans number 21, uh, July 1982, and then uh, I think that book I I tried to. I haven't read a ton of new teen Titans. So I tried when I first got the, (laughs) the preview to read the Titan story and then in the middle, read the preview and then continue with the Titan story. And that I should not have done that. That totally (laughs) threw me (laughs) off. I should have just like read one and then the other, but that was not a great idea. So I was like, okay, let me just read the preview and, you know, just reading the preview. I thought it was pretty cool. So, um, Yeah, why don't we jump in here? I'll do a little quick synopsis here, and this is coming right from the the site, the DC Fandom. Uh, So uh, why don't I jump into that here, and then uh, we can talk about the issue.
1: Yeah,
3: great.
2: Baron Winters returns to the interior of Wintersgate Manor after a brief time-traveling escapade to medieval England. He receives a telephone call from reporter Jack Gold, who wants to confirm a scheduled interview. The Baron agrees to see him, but before Jack can prepare, he has other business to attend to (laughs) jack goes to the pentagon and finagles his way into the file room he manages to sneak a peek at several classified documents pertaining to something called project satan before he is escorted from the building by major carson an employee named carrie holmes witnesses the matter and makes a private call to her secret employer jack leaves and pulls his rent-a-car up to a fuel station he steps out of the vehicle to make a phone call Leaving the gas station attendant free to look the vehicle over, upon starting the ignition, the car explodes, killing the attendant. Meanwhile, at Georgetown College, Professor Donovan Kane conducts an experiment with his parapsychology class in which they go through the motions of a satanic mass. At the Potomac Psychiatric Hospital, patient Vanessa Van Helsing feels the psychic resonance caused by Donovan Kane's experiments. She begins freaking out and the orderly storm into her room to sedate her. Dr. Rabin is at a loss to explain her condition and reluctantly consults with Baron Winters. Winters examines Van Helsing and inwardly smiles, knowing that all of his plans are slowly falling into place. Okay, so uh, big picture. Overall thoughts on this preview. What do you think?
3: You know, these previews are supposed to... You know do exactly that give you a taste of what the book is like to sort of entice you to do more uh and read more and i think this succeeds pretty fantastic i mean i think you get the the beats of all of these different characters baron winters is a i have agents that i'm trying to move into place to deal with something and i have some mysticism and time travel powers you've got jack gold who is like a hard drinking hard smoking rumpled trench coat guy out of like a 1940s detective movie uh Mm -hmm. satanic mass with like half naked people
1: uh (laughs)
3: and then uh vanessa von helsing right so Mm
1: -hmm. so
3: you meet all of the main characters and you immediately get a sense of like who these people are um and, you know, there is even, you know, a lot of action in this to sort of say, like, boy, if this is the pace that the book is going to be at, this is going to be worth reading.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll or I'm sorry, I'll agree with you. This was a great preview. It, it really sets the table well, gets you interested, leaves you on, you know, a, a slight, you know, cliffhanger like this really would get me if I would have bought this off the racks, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in this. I'm getting issue one. So to me, This preview does its job fantastically, but it does start out kind of interesting there. So what do you think of that very first page, which is, you know, more of a cover uh, that says the Night Force? Uh, It's kind of interesting. It doesn't look like a a horror book from the
3: uh, first page here, does it? No, not at all. And in fact, it's one of the things that I find most intriguing about this is, you know, this is the preview of this book. Nobody really has heard anything or knows anything about this. And the first picture is two knights jousting. And- you could imagine that a book called night force could be about knights of the round table. Right. Uh, and and uh-huh. very quickly by like the third or fourth panel, you know, Baron Winters is like, I have to go answer the phone. You know, basically <laughs> I'm going to go back to the current time and you go, Oh, it was kind of like a faint, you know, like, like they were kind of uh-huh. us. Um, and I do wonder again, if if part of that is, you know, that opening picture is on the cover of New Teen Titans. And so if you have somebody who is saying, Oh, maybe one of the reasons why I'm going to pick this book up is because of this preview, you know, maybe they would be fooled by that picture to say, like, oh, this is going to be a sword and sorcery thing, only to discover that it's a horror thing.
2: Yeah, like you said, on on the very front cover of this Teen Titans edition, at the very top it says, I mean, they're really pushing it. It says free night force preview pullout. And then along the left-hand side, you know, along the spine, it says Extra, Introducing the Night Force by Wolfman and Colin in a special free 16-page comic. And then it shows you this, you know, this opening page here. Like I said, that basically looks like a cover. And <laughs> I love how an instant collector's item from the new <laughs> DC. <laughs> I I love when they, they they try to pump up their own stuff. Lee, you know Marvel would do that all the time too. You know Stanley would put hyperbole on there like collector's item, collector's issue. It's like okay, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm, but yeah, that opening page, like you said, is interesting. It's kind of like this is the most not horror thing I've ever seen in my life. But uh, and just a slight. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a criticism, and again, Gene Cole is my favorite artist of all time. But uh, he drew spurs like you would find on a cowboy on the knight's yes. foot. There, not sure about that, Gene.
3: <laughs> it's true. It's true.
2: <laughs> and then that that horse actually looks like it has the head of a cow, not yes. a horse. <laughs> the other the other horse looks fantastic. It and animals are extremely tough to draw. Yes. Even some of the greatest artists of you know all time in comics can't couldn't draw certain animals or animals at all.
3: Yeah. I've been told that if it's one thing, uh, that comic book writer, uh, artists hate, it's when there's a script that has a horse in it. So, uh.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, cool cover, but not very horror. But like you said, you flip the page and, you know, the Baron's talking to, uh, I'm not sure who the guy is supposed to be, but you know, he's, you know, some, uh, bigwig here and he, uh, you know, there's a little conversation going be- on between the two about, you know, some kind of a deal, uh, that was made with the Baron and the Baron purchased some land and, uh, london i believe and then like you said you hear this ring and he's like uh it figures always interruptions the baron says and he's like it appears i must take my leave and he gets up and walks away and he does have his uh companion there with him too so the baron is not alone he has a a companion with him so uh what what's going on there what about that
3: <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you know i suppose that all of this is to like make him seem more mysterious and intriguing but he has a pet leopard basically or cheetah that just kind of slinks all around with him named merlin so mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool
1: yeah
2: that's awesome i mean that that to me is a good addition because it would have been cool just if it was just the baron and he's you know just the baron that's cool but having this uh, crazy pet that apparently he can communicate with and i think it, it seems like maybe even on you know a mental level Uh, Not even just with words. So that's that's pretty cool, too, and interesting. But yeah, he walks back through a door, and the door leads into this home. And this really, really big home, like, you know, like a mansion. Like, it's a huge house. And he makes a comment about uh, uh, getting, uh, being pissed off at the uh, phone company. He's not a big fan of the phone company. And at some point, I think in one of these issues, he says about maybe uh, snipping the phone cord just so it doesn't bother him anymore.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And and it's, it, you know, again, there are all of these small things that I love. Right. So he's got like one of those old fashioned phones where you hold mm-hmm. it and speak into one speaker while holding <laughs> uh, the earpiece. Right. Which mm-hmm. lets you say, you know, OK, we've seen him in medieval London. You know, now he's got this old timey phone. There's something about this guy that we just have to watch.
2: Yeah, because even at that point, you're thinking to yourself, oh, OK, you know as you look at him holding that phone and then you saw the phone, like on the end table there, it looks like a Victorian era home and mm-hmm. the way, you know, yeah, the way everything that's going on there. Now you do see somebody pick up on the other end and they have, you know, a more modern phone for that for the time. But yeah, uh, you're thinking what's going on here. Like what time frame are we even in here? So a little ambiguity, but I, I think it's, re- it's, it's the good kind. Yeah. And you're then completely. he gets, yeah. And then he gets uh, on the phone with Mr. Gold. And, uh, we see this guy with a cigarette, of course, and uh, he's smoking away. And they say about this interview for tomorrow. And then <laughs> I like the third panel there. Uh, a woman in a negligee by the bedroom like, Jack, you're not keeping me waiting, are you? And <laughs> Of course not, babe. <laughs> That's great. So uh, he, we already see that Jack uh, is kind of, you know, a, a bit unscrupulous. And we'll see that uh, get to some uh, pretty uh, depraved uh, depths here soon.
3: Yeah, he yeah. Um, even in that small three-panel, the first time we meet Jack, he's got the cigarette in his mouth. He's not wearing a shirt, uh, and there's the you know the femme fatale in the in the doorway. We we already are starting to get a sense of who he
1: is.
2: Yeah, and like within just even within these next first two issues of the series, you know that we're gonna cover here in this recording, we we find out that you know you never know that that might even be like a hooker. This guy's yeah. like he's that <laughs> kind of guy. Like he. He's sort of one of the, you know, quote unquote heroes of the book, uh, but you can't really use that term. That's that's being way too nice to him. So you know, maybe you could call him a. I'm trying to think of what a good word is
3: for him.
2: <laughs> not a hero because yeah. he's just too. He he's not he's not on really on the side of the angels.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I I mean it uh, when I said before he's like the perfect sort of you know, in the gray kind of a guy that mm-hmm. is the protagonist in like a 1940s film noir, right? Yeah. They're they're always kind of like, are they the good guy? They do some unscrupulous stuff. Like, what is their general direction? Hopefully more towards good, but they still can darken things, when you know, at times.
2: Yeah, we'll see here that he's he's a very morally uh, unscrupulous kind of character as far as his, like, uh, personal life and his uh, addictions and things like that. But when it comes to, you know, helping someone out, He's 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 okay for that. He's okay in that department. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, awesome. So yeah, we we see the Baron then, and he just like walks around. There's this you know big library, and there he is with his cat Merlin, and you know he's saying about being a, an excite, having an excitement, and talking about Jack Gold, and thinking he's gonna like almost use him as a pawn here. And then the swing, the scene switches here to the Pentagon. Now I'm a little hazy on this too. I understand that. Uh, at this point, we don't know who he is working for. It's some kind of newspaper, but we do find out very soon here that it's kind of like one of those newspapers in a grocery aisle. You know, it's like that says about, you know, the Bat Boy and <laughs> aliens and UFOs and that kind of stuff. That's kind of the paper he works for.
3: Yeah. And and he, yeah, I, I don't know if he says it in that next scene or not, but it's, uh you know, there's a fall from grace. You learn that at one point mm-hmm. he was a super ethical reporter working for time magazine.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: because of all of these problems that he has, he's now working for this, you know, tabloid that looks at, you know, freaks and other things like that.
2: Yeah. And it is interesting. Cause I think to myself, I don't know that the Pentagon would let time magazine in there, let alone this yeah. guy and his employer, but okay. You know, you got there. There's always, you know, comics that you got to suspend a little belief here and there. So I can, I can get past that. And he meets up with this major Carson guy to look at some files that contain things about like parapsychology and this and that. But of course there's other files in that room too. And he starts peeking at those, even though he was specifically told to keep his nose out of anything other than what he was allowed to look at. But of course he gets caught right away. But before he gets caught, he sees a file that says project Satan uh, run by professor Donovan Kane, Georgetown
3: college. And that,
2: Peaks his interest there. So he gets booted right out of the place after that.
3: Yeah. And uh, again, this is like a good setup, right? We, mm-hmm. in a couple of pages, we see Donovan Kane at Georgetown College. So you're starting to see that, you know, these are all threads that are going to come together.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting. I didn't know what to think of this here. So, you know, Major Carson tells the secretary out front, Carrie, uh, that, you know, hey, you know, we're kicking this guy out of here. He's out of here, you know. And then she's like, oh, okay, cool, man. And he says, don't you know? tell the press desk to never let this guy in here again. And she's like, all right, everybody leaves the room. She doesn't call the press desk. She calls someone. She doesn't name who the person is. She just says, Carrie Holmes reporting. Jack Gold, National Chronicle, snooping on the Donovan project. And then there's a panel where we see someone. It's in dark in like a chair. And, you know, the, por- the, the person says, uh, oh, was he now? And we'll have to take care of him. And he's like, uh, Carrie, here is what you must do. So there's somebody working inside the Pentagon. That's like a, I don't want to say. A, I don't know if I could say a double agent at this point, but obviously somebody that's kind of working for someone else. And then they have, uh, you know, their eyes on Jack now and this uh, Project Satan as well. So I did like that little bit of intrigue there.
3: Yeah, you know, I I think that uh, he's an unseen villain, right? And, and mm-hmm. so we we have baron winter on one side who we will see in these first couple of issues is manipulating these three people towards some goal that he has and then in these three issues we see whoever this unnamed person is we always see them in that big chair we never get to see their face also has agents also is trying to set things into motion so uh it sets up a good conflict
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i like it. it it's like i said this this preview did really good on a lot of fronts and that's one of them that i love and uh, the, we get uh, our buddy uh, from the office here, Carrie. She's like, Oh, uh, let me uh, get you a cup of coffee here. Uh, Major Carson's not all that bad. And, you know, she's talking to Jack here. And, of course, you're wondering why. Well, <laughs> he goes out to his car and he starts the car up and it's making some funky noises. So he pulls into a gas station. And I don't know if it was just to get it checked out or that and get gas, but he hops out of the car to call his employer. And this poor sap working at the service station gets in and turns the key and the car explodes. How about that scene?
3: Yeah, it's um, it comes out of nowhere for sure. Um, and you can already tell the stakes are going to be high in this book, right? Like how mm-hmm. often are you reading a book and then somebody gets blown to bits on the seventh page, right? You know, mm-hmm. So so you get the sense there's real danger that's going to be involved in this book with real violence. Um, So I thought that that whole scene and that whoever this guy is sitting in the chair is willing to kill, um, uh, you know, almost indiscriminately. So I think it really ratchets up the tension.
2: Yeah, and I do find it interesting. I'm not sure, you know, if it was a bomb that I think the way they explain it is it was on some sort of timer because. It couldn't have been something to do with the ignition because he had already started the car and took off and went to the service station. So I think that's somewhere I thought it said something about uh, a timing device. And I thought, okay, well, then that makes sense. But uh, yeah, that rent a car is blown to bits. And on page seven there, I love that panel. It's like a two thirds splash page of the car exploding. It says blam. And there's smoke and fire everywhere. A tire got blown off. And there's Jack inside the phone booth. Uh, and for you kids out there, that's a, a device that you used to walk in and you'd have to put a quarter in it and make a phone call. You know that would, yeah, pre <laughs> yeah. pre cell phone days here. So that's how you communicated, you know, or you called collect <laughs> when somebody else had to pay. But that's a great panel there. You can see Jack's face like, "Wow, what's going on here?" And then the person on the other end of the phone, Jack, what's going on? What's that sound? Are you drunk again?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even one of the things that I like about this is um, the coloring is they mm. have no color on his face. It's just the white of the page, which I think really yeah. makes like the flash of the explosion that much more dramatic. And he, as you say, he's like bug eyed, like what the heck's going on? He drops the phone. So really great panel.
2: Yeah, that one really to me is super impressive. And <clears throat> again, be I just totally brain farted. I keep having a habit of doing this and I need to stop. So. I did say about a couple of the credits. Uh, I'll finish it off here. Marv Wolfman is the writer, creator. Uh, and then we have Gene Colan, artist, Bob Smith, inker, John Costanza, letterer, and Michelle Wolfman, uh, Marv's wife, I believe, as the colorist here. And yeah, she did a great job with the colors here.
3: Yeah, all of it is all of it is great. And again, when we see, as we move along in this book, um, when the demons start to show up, like you really need to have a strong colorist if you're going to make this work.
2: Yeah, well, speak of speak speak of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> you, you turn the next page here, and uh, we see Baron Winters. There's a little tiny two you know panels of an interlude with him, and he says Jack Gold will have to do, I suppose. Besides, there will be a tempering influence upon him, Donovan Kane, and he has a picture of Donovan, and he has his finger on it. And then we switch to uh, this is Georgetown. university or college, I believe, but you wouldn't know that from looking at this page because we see, uh, maybe a dozen robed figures, uh, with a pentagram and a huge candle in the middle of it. And they are starting some kind of satanic ritual here. And within two panels, Everybody takes off their clothes except
3: uh, Donovan. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, this is again what like the first time I read this or even the second time I read this, you if you don't carefully look at the folder that says Project Satan Georgetown College, Mm -hmm. I don't think you know this is a college until the end of the scene. So it just looks indeed like a satanic temple more than anything else.
2: Yeah, and I will say they it's very uh, they do. Uh, do everything tastefully here. There's nothing, you know, you know, uh, out of line or crazy or anything like that. Like the people take their robes off, and you know they're in shadow and stuff like that. So it's definitely, you know, it was 1982, so you know DC uh, wasn't ready to, you know, show the 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 Batwang or anything yet. It was still, <laughs> things were still pretty tame here. So even though they're naked, it's still, you know, very uh, discreet. I guess I should say right.
3: Well, I'll say, you know, as a 12-year-old, which I bought, yeah. <laughs> bought this off the rack, this was about the most profane of anything that I'd ever read or seen, right? This, this is, <laughs> there are some well-placed shadows, but they are well-placed. You know, there's a, there's a lot of skin being shown.
2: Yes, the, oh, there is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because you can see the people that are all, like, on their knees, kind of like, you know, bowing and stuff like that. Yeah. And you you can tell they are totally naked. There's a couple yeah. of shadows hiding things here and there, but... Yeah, you can tell they are totally naked. And Again, like you're saying, you're 12. 1982, man, this was, like, pretty wild because there is no warning on it. There's no labels saying, you know, teen plus or mature or anything like that on the preview or these first couple of issues that we're going to talk about. I don't know if there is down the road, but not on these first few. There's nothing, nothing at all.
3: Yeah, this is one I would not want my mother to have found because she probably would have said I can't collect it anymore.
2: (laughs) That would have been the end of the comic collection. (laughs) Well, you know, they start doing this crazy ritual here and Donovan's spouting off about, you know, uh, beasts and this and that and then the fire that's there. And I'm not sure if that's the candle or what that is. There's some kind of like... I don't know what you'd call that but it's it's like it's it like almost looks like it's in the middle of the room here or maybe no it's off to the side I'm sorry it's off to the side and it like the flame goes crazy and you see whoosh and like you're saying too the colorist here again Michelle Wolfman great job because the sound effect is right in the middle of the fire and it's orange and yellow and it goes crazy and of course they're all like run for it and we see in the next room You know, we kind of get a glimpse into what's really going on here. They're not just a a bunch of Satanists uh, on this pentagram doing this satanic ritual. There's another element to it here that we see on the next page, right?
3: Yeah, they're, like, hooked up to, like, you know, medical monitors. There's old-school you know, computer banks. Uh, and, you know, I just have to say, you know, there's this one line that I love. It's like, you know, this was our first attempt at using a satanic baptism. All right, class, settle down. We'll take a five minute break. I'm like, what class
1: is this? You know?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's when you're just like, what? What do you mean class? <laughs> yeah. But, and like you said, if you can put two and two together, maybe it didn't when you were 12, but you might maybe now think, oh, okay. He looked at that file, Project Satan, Georgetown College, and class. So okay, but yeah. again, it, it suspend belief a little bit. I don't even know, even if in twenty twenty two something like this would be allowed, let alone in nineteen eighty two. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, certainly you're looking at an arrest warrant if you're trying this as a teacher these days.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're in big trouble. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the the class takes a little break here, and one of the uh, students. Kind of sneaks out and goes to a payphone. And here we have again, another uh, entrance into the uh, enigmatic, uh, you know, person that uh, is, uh, you know, kind of like a a mastermind, but kind of on the other side, kind of like the uh, the antithesis to uh, Baron Winters here.
1: Yeah.
3: And, you know, he wanted to get rid of Jack Gold, but here he's like, oh, you know, this crazy thing happened with the flame. Excellent news. Excellent news. Right. So he's very interested in what Kane is doing here.
2: Mm hmm. Yep. And then uh, another quick uh, look in on the Baron here and he's got Merlin and he says, you know, about Donovan and uh, he says about our missing link to our, you know, little game here. And it's uh, Vanessa Van Helsing. So he has a picture of her as well. And I love how this kind of reminds me of a hammer flick where you have a scene where there's some dialogue and it's, you know, a, a bit more quiet and the volume's kind of low. And then it jump cuts to a scene with someone screaming or yelling in an asylum or in a pub or something. We see Vanessa and she's ah screaming uh, inside a padded cell at, uh, uh, at a hospital. What'd you think? Yeah. of that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, great, it's like you say that the he you know baron winters has these photos of these people who he is whether they realize or not going to be his agents and the picture of her is she looks like she's 12 and she's smiling and then we cut the next scene is just like her screaming uh in terror so it is this great like jump cut uh of that character uh and she is she's she's screaming about blood and fire and and so you're wondering how it's all come going to gonna come together. Um, but it's just a great jump. Uh, it, again, this this whole preview works to sort of try to set up what the tone of this is going to be.
2: Yeah, she's really you know worked up here, you know, as if she's in physical pain. But you can see in the room there's nothing, it's a
3: padded room. There's
2: nothing going on in there. So I'm thinking to myself like what is going on because y- you don't really. It's tough to connect the dots right now, Um, but, you know, to show our hand a little bit for these next couple of issues, we're going to talk about what's going on at the the college and her uh, is kind of intertwined here. But it's just at first you're like, what? This doesn't make any sense. What she's screaming about. But when she mentions fire, you can kind of think to yourself, oh, maybe this has something to do with what went on at the college.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's all very mysterious. You know, again, what this is supposed to do is whet your appetite. And so mm-hmm. it's like you say, you you cut to the scene and you're like, who is this person and how are they connected? Um, I want to know more, right? And so mm-hmm. now I'm probably going to buy that first issue when it comes out.
2: Yeah, and a uh, couple of orderlies come running in there because she goes absolutely berserk and starts like chewing on the padded floor and going berserk here. So they come running in and then uh, Dr. Rabin as well, a uh, lady doctor here, and they have a a needle and they're going to, you know, give her an injection to sedate her. And, you know, this is page 12, bottom panel on the right. The syringe in the panel on the left looks like a syringe. The one on the right, I don't know what that is.
3: Yeah, looks
2: like an oil can. Looks like the tin man oil can. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, am I? Is this me, or is this actually what was what was drawn here? It's like again, you won't find a bigger Gene Collin fan. So, just yeah. a, n- not not really saying it's it ruined anything here or whatever. It's just like, wait a minute, what? I'm not sure about the. Yeah, that looks like a, a syringe you'd use on like an elephant, not a human being. <laughs> or <something. laughs> But wow, how about page thirteen here? This shot is incredible. It's outside uh, Baron Winters' home because there's an ambulance and it's bringing Vanessa there. So this is an interesting uh, little connection here. Uh, You know, Dr. Raven kind of says that when she has these spells like this, I guess even the sedation doesn't really work in helping, but uh, taking her to see Baron Winters does, and she admits that she hates doing it. And I don't know if it's more because she doesn't like Baron Winters because he can actually help her. And Dr. Rabin cannot or what her deal is. But she doesn't like Baron Winters, but she knows he can kind of help assuage the the trauma here for Vanessa. So uh, they uh, go over to his house for some help. And wow, again, that shot on page 13. I don't know if anybody draws a better creepy house than Gene Collin. Maybe Bernie Wrightson. That's about it.
3: Yeah. Lit from above. We already said it looked like a Victorian mansion. It looks like a Victorian mansion from the outside. It's massive. Uh, and uh, it is. It's it's it comp- it's, looks like a haunted house. So um, so it's a perfect domicile for him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And they, they get Vanessa inside and right away, you know, he uh, starts to kind of just just kind of like hold on to her almost as if it's like, you know, when a, when a baby is upset and crying. You know, when a mother will will hold her child, it's it kind of soothes the child. It kind of seems like a situation like that, which is kind of interesting to me. So I'm thinking, does he have some kind of innate power over her or just, you know, some power within him that he can kind of heal people? Like, you know, again, it's a little ambiguous, a little mysterious here, but in a good way that you're thinking, oh, wow, we're going to find out what's going
3: on here soon. And,
2: you know, it's really, really cool, right?
3: Yeah. And we've seen him. We know he has some like supernatural power he like walks out of medieval england into this into this place but the doctor says you are no, you're a charlatan you're a rube you're you are <laughs> a faker all of these sort of things and so you don't know right is this just that and he says i've known vanessa like much of her life so is it that she's comfortable around him is it that he has some type of supernatural powers is it that um he is a faker and just kind of like you know you know, Svengali's are into coming down um, all, you know, again, all just kind of like making you want to learn more.
2: Yeah. Dr. Rabin really hates him. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like, like I said, I'm not sure what, you know, it's probably a, a few things. There's a, a few reasons and it, it just seems that it really pisses her off that she has to almost go to him For this help, you know, I mean, it really bothers her to have to go to him because, like you said, she calls him a a charlatan. My favorite, a a rube. (laughs) I love that. So, yeah, she's really uh, uh, not a fan of his. But again, she has to go there just so it'll kind of help Vanessa, like basically get her through these these traumas that they kind of act as if they've been going on off and on, you know, intermittently. Since she's been, I think they make mention at some point, uh, her parents died when she was like maybe 13-ish. And, you know, she's been in their care. But they also mentioned that she's going to be turning 21. And I guess she's not presenting any kind of a threat to society or anything like that. So she's going to be able to just leave once she turns 21.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they make it a, a big point of that she is almost 21, right? She isn't quite there yet. So, like, the clock is ticking.
2: Yeah, yeah, they make mention of that on a couple of different occasions, especially Baron Winters, and yeah, he's interesting, so after they leave, when he calms her down, you know, he's back to uh, petting uh, Merlin and talking to him, and, you know, he uh, basically says, oh, it's, it, it was good seeing Vanessa again, wasn't it, and he says, she's grown into such a lovely woman, and I'm thinking, uh, I don't know, dude, Yeah, seemed <laughs> yeah, a little, a yeah. little, a little, little, little creepy there. A little creepy, <laughs> But yeah that's that's just about it for the preview here you know he has those pictures again of uh, Jack Donovan and uh, Vanessa and he you know names them he says we can assemble our night force and you know he's like i want to go get some good night's sleep tomorrow's going to be a busy day and yeah that's it for the preview so yeah fantastic i loved this preview i thought this preview was excellent overall like i know you you kind of said you you agree right really good stuff
3: yeah if i can only if i can add one more line that he says in that mm-hmm. last He says, you know, talking about Vanessa, I have protected her for so long only to see her become the focal point in this dangerous escapade. Right. Almost like foreshadowing. And he that scene is him from behind completely cloaked in shadows. It kind of like made me feel like something bad is going to happen to her. Right. She's this innocent. He in, in this panel is completely cloaked in darkness. And he's saying that she is the focal point. So this whole time, like or when I read it this time, I said, oh, I think he kind of knows that he's using her and something bad might happen. Now, I don't know if something bad happens because it's been a while since I've read. Um, But but again, I think this whole thing was just very tantalizing, right? It made me want to read more. And, you know, I already said, I'm probably showing my age here, but, like, I bought this off the rack. There were a lot of comics on the rack. I looked for Night Force number one after reading this to to say, like, I want more. You know, that's just what it was supposed to be.
2: Yeah, it did its job, man, because like I said, I, I'll read this. And I'm like, whoa, well, yeah, I'm definitely getting the next issue. It wasn't one of these where it's like, eh, if I see it, I'll pick it up. And again, some of that has to do with some of my predilections of horror and Wolfman and Colin for sure. But I think it's really good. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on in this preview. That's only 16 pages. So I'm thinking, well, what's going to happen in a, you know, 22, 24, whatever page comic There's going to be even, you know, six or eight more pages of this cool story going on. And it'll, you know, slowly uh, start to reveal things. And, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, again, did its job. Fantastic. So, yeah. All right. Well, you ready to move on here? We're going to do issue one next. Totally ready. All right. Fantastic. So this is Night Force, volume one, number one, August 1982, cover date. And it's uh, writer Marv Wolfman and uh, he was the editor as well and then penciler Gene Colin, inker Bob Smith, colorist Michelle Wolfman and letters John Costanza. So the same team from uh, you know the preview here but and it did come out you know it was a preview I think that key was July cover date this came out in August so just one month you didn't have to wait you know a while to get this it's, it was you know just that very next month boom here it was. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So all right, well here we go. Here's the uh, synopsis for Uh, The Summoning, which is the name of this storyline that's going to go through a few issues here. It's uh, part one, Genesis. So at the Potomac Psychiatric Hospital, patient Vanessa Van Helsing sees visions of demonic forces beckoning her. Baron Winters meets again with Jack Gold and tells him about Vanessa. He wants to bring Vanessa into his fold. At Georgetown College, Professor Donovan Kane continues his experiments in parapsychology. He soon discovers that his experiments are taking place at the same moment that Vanessa Van Helsing is experiencing her paranormal visitations, Kane later meets with Baron Winters, who arranges to have Vanessa released into his care. Meanwhile, strange supernatural occurrences begin taking place all throughout Georgetown. So, okay, that's a that's a, a little bit of a broad stroke there, but that's pretty much what happens in this one. So, why don't we start with the cover here? So, this is a uh, Gene Colan, but Dick Giordano is the anchor here. So, what do you think of this cover?
3: Uh, I think it, it it reminds me almost like um, a cover of something like The Shadow, right? The Shadow always mm-hmm. had agents that worked with him and he was the main force in the back. And so you've got Baron Winter holding up a pentagram with our three characters and Vanessa completely like, you know, ablaze blaze and fire. And mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of um, ringed in white. So it's sort of like an, an image uh, in, you know, panel with within the cover.
2: Uh, like a picture frame yeah
3: yeah like a picture frame i think it's pretty fascinating it's not you know it's not action-packed by any means but i think if you read the preview and you know the concept then you get a you you get the idea of what they're trying to do here um so i like it a lot
2: yeah i think it's really good too uh the only thing i thought that was kind of funny it made me chuckle and this is just on a personal level uh baron winters he's in the background like you said and he's kind of got a bit of a a yellow tinge to certain parts of him and black, you know, shadow all over him with these horizontal lines. And it kind of reminded me of like <clears throat> when I was a little kid and I'd uh, go by like the naughty channel and, you know, it would be scrambled. And you try to like <laughs> see what's going on there <laughs> for a second. That's kind of what Aaron Winters reminds me of there. He's like a little scrambled.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 it does. It looks like, you know, adjust the UHF dial. See if you can get a better hit. <laughs>
2: yep so all right so on to the first page here this splash page um you know the splash page i do like some elements of it i actually like most elements of it the only thing i'm not a huge fan of is you know we have uh, our three uh you know people that are going to be our you know air quotes night force here and they're in the foreground and it's like a wintry scene almost like they're in you know alaska or siberia or somewhere like that and we have uh, our buddy baron winters and Merlin there, and in the back left corner we have whomever that uh, shadowy figure is that keeps getting these phone calls, and there's bats. The only thing I think is kind of a little wonky is like this demon kind of creature itself that's to uh, to the right there of Baron Winters. Well, I guess Baron Winters left, but our right looking at the image there. Other than that, I love this page. Love it.
3: Yeah, it's almost like a second cover, and I, I think the thing again—you—you—you you, uh, you have told me that you're not reading ahead. Um, mm-hmm. It's issue—it's the cover of issue seven that they're in these snow outfits. We see them in snow, right? So wow. this, is, this is again a foreshadowing of something that's going to happen pretty much at the end of this storyline. So Wolfman's really thinking ahead here uh, and kind of giving us a flavor of, of the whole storyline.
2: Yeah, which is wild. And I love that. And, I, you know, uh, to hearken back to you and Ryan and Paul Hicks talking about this, you know, Wolfman really was doing something different with this series. He was uh, almost writing for the trade without writing for the trade. He was he, he was writing like a, a six or seven issue story. And then his plan was, you know, then that was going to be the end of that one. And he was going to move on and write another one, you know, like almost trade length stories uh, in this within this series. You know, and it did end up getting canceled, but, you know, only after 14 issues. But that was his plan. And I, I don't doubt that he already had this all plotted out and even thought about some of the uh, artwork and images, too, that he probably relayed to Gene. And that's wild that this is issue number, you know, one. And like you said, that isn't going to happen until what did you say? Issue seven.
3: Issue seven.
1: Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. So if this is a monthly, that's six months later is when this is going to you know, uh, ring true here. So that's wild. I love that to me. That's, that's something brilliant that, you know, y- you weren't hearing about stuff like that in 1982.
3: Yeah. There were no solicits saying in five months, this is the book that's going to be on the shelf. You didn't know. Right. So, mm-hmm. so it does pay off.
2: Yeah. And I will say too, there's, uh, this image is also just the, uh, the, the pencils, I believe from Gene. I don't even think it's inked is, uh, in, uh, the issue. Uh, I think I had sent it to you at some point a while ago. Uh, there's a, an article in Amazing Heroes number 11 about Night Force. It was a bit of a preview. I think that came out in May 1982, so you know a month or two before the series you know uh, came out and the preview there in Teen Titans and that the first page has this uh, just Jean's uh, pencils, which of course look awesome. You know if you've ever seen just his pencil work, it's great.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous shot. Fantastic.
2: So yeah, the chapter uh, that kind of says. The Summoning, and then Chapter 1, Genesis, which is really cool. I love, you know, ominous names for the chapters in the different books. I love that kind of stuff. So this one opens up a little different. This is pretty wild. So we see a car racing down the road, and I love cars in comics too, by the way. And Gene's one of the best at drawing really cool cars in comics. So I'm not sure if it's a Rolls-Royce or what it is, but that's a really nice, expensive-looking car there, isn't
3: it? Yeah, yeah. It looks like a Rolls Royce. Uh, and we find out it's just two feds. So like they must be getting paid pretty well by our government.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, our tax dollars hard at work here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> a couple of agents in a Rolls Royce, right?
2: <laughs> and it's interesting. They're blasting down the road and, you know, having a little bit of dialogue between the two of them. And they don't really say anything that I I can recognize as, you know, oh, well, this is going to mean something later. You know, it's kind of a bit ambiguous dialogue here. And The one guy says about kind of being spooked himself and this and that. But we do notice then there's a chopper following them. And, you know, within one page, the chopper bears down on them. And a guy has a huge machine gun and he points it at the car and just starts blasting away at the car. And there's a pretty violent uh, death and wreck here, don't you think?
3: Yeah. Uh, um, You you know, uh, the language that um, Wolfman uses Um, For a young kid reading it is pretty graphic. It's like, you know, the bullets tear through his throat. Right. And this guy Mm. gags twice before he falls dead. Um, And you see this guy get like, you know, ripped apart from bullets shot from above that come out his throat, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. so so much like we saw the car explode in the preview, you already know by page three, there were high stakes in this book. Here are these two guys. We've barely got to meet them. We, we only just learned their name. They're dead. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty graphic. You know what I mean? Like you said, for a, a comic that just even a little kid could pick up and just check out, that's pretty wild. But yeah, car careens right off of the side of the bridge and uh, crash and room right into the water. And, uh, somebody above the chopper, aboard the chopper says, Let's get back. We've done our job. Now it's up to the others. And we switch back to Vanessa at the psychiatric hospital. And she's like, You know, it looks at first like she's talking to herself, but you notice she's pointing at someone or something and says, I really can't take it any longer. Get away from me, please. Do you hear me? Get away. I've done nothing to deserve any of this. And boy, when you <laughs> flip to the next page, it, you see this really disturbing image where You know, she's like, I think it's page six or I'm sorry, page five. She's being like confronted by this demonic figure. And again, she's at a psychiatric hospital, so you don't know if it's really there or it's just something she's seeing. And I do like how they play with that as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, if there's there's a couple of things that I love is that um, there are no black lines in the coloring of colin's art of any of the demons that happen in this book. So it really mm-hmm. gives it an ethereal or, you know, pseudo real feel to it, right? You know, mm-hmm. is this a mist or something like that? Yeah. And then if you look carefully, you know, in the second panel of this page, there's a, you know, we're seeing Vanessa crouched from behind. She's looking at an image of herself crouched from behind. With mm-hmm. a demon right behind and then the next panel is this demon you know, picking up Vanessa and I don't know, eating her or something. It says like, you know, you must be part of us. So, so it's really freaky. She's looking at a picture of herself being eaten by this demon. uh, And again, it has this like unreal quality to it, even for a comic book, which I just love the fact that they went with that. I guess you'd call it a serpent, right? There's no black Mm -hmm. lines around the art. It's just conveyed by the colors.
2: Yeah, I think that makes this really cool and stand out because most comics, again, would have drawn an outline and a shape with, you know, black lines and, and inks and everything else. But this just being, you know, like you said, ethereal, ghost like almost, this is really cool. That makes it even better, I feel.
3: I completely agree.
2: Yeah, again, you flip the page and it's still going on. They're almost like having dialogue back and forth. And she really flips out and, and orderly comes to the door. But, you know, got a jump scenes here back to uh, Baron Winter's house because here's our buddy Jack Gold and he's coming to do his interview with the Baron and he's kind of a you know you can tell Jack is one of these guys that like you said he used to write for Time Magazine and now he's doing this job that's you know he kind of feels is a bit beneath him he has nobody to blame but himself for that uh, but you know we're going to see that he he does uh, have uh, you know a lot of issues within himself and some uh, personality quirks that are not the best but him and the, the Baron here, it's a really good scene. You know, they they kind of joust back and forth a little bit with each other about, you know, the supernatural. And, you know, Baron Winters obviously believes in it because he lives it. And Jack doesn't believe any of that stuff at all. So what did you think of their scene in the house?
3: Uh, yeah, it's uh, here is the Baron who is like prim and proper in clothes that look like, you know, uh you know, Dr. Jekyll would wear again, that sort of like turn of the century British uh, sort of suit. And then there's Jack mm-hmm. with like the rumpled trench coat, the bent cigarette out of his mouth, talking like a, like, you know, a mook almost, you know, like when mm-hmm. he sees, when he sees <laughs> the, with the cheetah, he's like, you know, like, what are you going to, do you have this, you know, because you want your visitors to not have dry pants, right? You know, like they're going to be and so there is this good sort of back and forth, um, But then Jack is like, you know, it's not uh, I'm not buying any of this. And uh, and I've looked into your past uh, and I think you're a phony. So I still have some, you know, uh, some pride. I'm out of here. So these are not fast friends by any means, um, uh, which I think adds to the story.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know. Like you said, Jack kind of did his homework on the Baron here. And at one point he says, you've been a hair's shade of being tossed in the slammer 17 times <laughs> I yeah <didn't> like that <laughs> that's
1: cool. Yeah,
3: yeah and you know um, at some point we learn i don't know i think it might be in the next issue that it's like he never leaves the house and that of course mm-hmm. becomes part of his character and so when jack says something like um you know, uh, you were in a fortune-telling booth at a carny show back in the 40s, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is that like a phony story, or was that before he got tied to the house? You know, all of these things are just mysteries about this guy that, to be honest, I don't think we ever learn.
2: No, I don't think we do either, because I'm thinking to myself, maybe that really did happen, but is that how he gets— does he have to, you know, leave the house through one of those doors that go to Paris or England or a Carney show somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I just I just thought you don't know. I and mean, that's part of uh, the charm, I think, of that character. You know, I mean, there's just there's some things you do know and some things you don't know. And like you said, some of them, I don't know you ever get the answers to by the time the series even ends. Right. Right. But yeah, Jack, at one point, oh, the, the pesky phone rings again and the Baron's got to go uh, uh, answer his phone. And Jack goes over to a set of, you know, like French doors here that look like they just lead out into a garden. But when he opens the doors, the next thing you know, he looks out and it's Paris of the 1800s. It's, it's pretty wild. And again, we've kind of seen this shtick with the Baron already, which in the preview he was in, uh, I think it was England, wasn't it? not? And, yeah. then, you know, came back into this mansion that was in more modern times. So, yeah, this is really cool. I like how Jack uh, is just like, doesn't understand what's going on. He sees what he sees and he believes what he sees, but then the Baron comes in and he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're crazy. Look, let's just look right out here. It was just a trick of the light. And he opens the doors again and it's just his garden. I really enjoyed that scene quite a
3: bit. Yeah. And there's no doubt uh, again, Colin does a great job, right? You know, this is turn of the century Paris. It's like, there's a gaslight, right? The, there are mm-hmm. no cars. It's cobblestone roads. Uh, you know, the, the architecture, it aren't skyscrapers. Um, so uh, this really looks like that time. Uh, uh, and I love that Jack is like, I don't know how you're doing this, but I'm not going to put up with it. I'm out and just takes off. Uh, you know, um, so, uh, That whole scene comes to a a pretty quick and dramatic end. Mm -hmm. But they
2: want to, you know, they want to give us uh, some more on Jack's backstory here. So, you know, we follow him and he goes back to the Georgetown Motel and he's, you know, going to start relaxing here, starts getting undressed. And then his phone rings and we see uh, (laughs) I like how he answers the phone. Jack gold. What's your beef? (laughs) (laughs) And it's his uh, ex-wife and she's uh, wondering where her alimony is. And, uh, they talk about their kids that they have. And, you know, we see that, you know, like I said, the, the, it, the preview started out with him and some woman in a, you know, a nighty, and (laughs) he's got a, an ex-wife and kids and, uh, he's got all these problems and issues and we're just kind of seeing how his life is pretty much the last, you know, couple of years, probably a, a huge train wreck.
3: Yeah. It's funny when he gets back to the hotel, even before he picks up the phone, he says, I need the bar. Right. So mm-hmm. he's an alcoholic. He's a smoker. He's like fallen from grace with his job. He's divorced. He, he's broke because he can't afford the alimony. Um, he's in a rough place.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he kind of uh, hangs up on, uh, the wife because he lies to her and says he has a meeting i have to go to and he, i love how he makes the comment whoever created alimony must have been a woman <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking maybe jack like that's yeah, the whole yeah. point of alimony you dope but um uh, <laughs> uh he uh then the next thing we see is hi guess who's back and he says i'm expecting you and jack went back to baron winter's uh, house so that's interesting but that's all we see and we're back to the uh Fun times here at the uh, Georgetown College campus, and our buddy Donovan, Donovan Kane and his uh, naked dancing troupe. So here we go. Right, it went, where were these classes when I was in school? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Crazy. And again, though, it's you know, you can clearly see everybody's you know buck naked here, but it's you know, it's pretty, it's pretty good with the shadows and stuff like that, just to hide anything that the comics code, which was I don't want to say dwindling at this point, but it certainly didn't really hold a lot of power anymore. But I guess if they would have done that, it probably would have been probably would have been yanked and they would have got told to <laughs> redo it anyway. So they were pretty, pretty cautious with uh, not showing uh, anything they could get away with.
3: Yeah, and, and again, Wolfman does a good job with words and images, right? They are overwhelmed with primitive urges that spur them on. They have been swallowed whole by their own lustful hungers, right? Like, <laughs> these are no longer science majors trying to do whatever this experiment is they have become completely invested um, and lost themselves.
2: Yeah, there it's you know we see Donovan there he's still robed and he's got this candle uh, candlestick and the fire it's 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 getting a little bit bigger there and there's this bright light shining in the background like you know something's going on and these people are almost acting as if they're you know slightly possessed or something maybe you would call it or at least you know Whatever's going on in the room is bringing out these like primal urges, and uh, I do love how again we switch to you know just the streets out in Georgetown, and everything just starts going berserk here. Like you know, manhole covers are being blown off, and there's this huge like fire kind of demon that you know on page twelve there that comes out of the uh, out of the sewer there. Like wow, that is a really crazy good panel by Gene.
3: Yeah, yeah. It is, uh, again, every time there's a demon, it's in that no outline sort of a thing. So this looks like flame and demon, and it's just otherworldly. It's, like, really great.
2: Mm, Yeah, really, really great stuff there by Gene. And like we said, too, with the inks, and then even the colorist, too, uh, deserves a ton of credit there. And we do see, then, uh, on page 13, how there's a cop there, and it says six-year veteran patrolman Frank Fredericks is the first to die. Sadly, he won't be the last. And he has his gun out and he's shooting at this demon, but obviously it's not doing a whole heck of a lot of good. And so at least at this point, we've got two federal agents dead and we have a cop dead. And now we get a little more. I think they're trying to be a little more obvious about it that, you know, yes, when these things are going on, you know, Vanessa is uh, absolutely going berserk over at the uh, hospital as well. And they try to sedate her again, but she kind of gets away. Um, and I do like how they make that connection. So you don't have to keep kind of guessing if this one thing yeah. have to do with the other, they, they make that connection solidly right here.
3: Yeah. And they even flip it when the Vanessa scene ends, uh, we go back to Donovan and he's like, something has happened, right? So there mm-hmm. is this interplay that lets you know, these things are affecting each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's funny too, because <laughs> there's a scene on page 14 where Vanessa's in the hallway of this hospital and that pinkish, you know, uh, uh, ooze or ethereal you know, matter or whatever it is that the demon was like speaking to her in before and kind of like, almost like uh, attacking her spirit form or whatever was going on there. It's in the hallway and it's like all around her. Like it's trying to like drown her almost like it's water. And we see two other people and they're acting as if nothing is going
3: on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. If you look in the back, it looks like, did this blow the door off the hinge? Right. It, it's mm-hmm. almost like, you know, um, the blood coming out of the elevators in The Shining movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yep. uh, but you're right. Is this real or not real? Because there are these two people in in wheelchairs who don't seem to even notice. Now, of course, we're in, uh, like, the, the, you know, an insane asylum. Uh, and are these people just, like, completely catatonic and unaware? Or is it that this isn't real? Again, this whole mystery is, is sort of being played up.
2: Yeah, I felt like, you know, halfway through the first issue here and then we'll get into it in the next issue, too. It was a little slower, but it's like it's it's like a slow burn that, you know, they're they're trying to set a lot of things up and they're trying to make things a little more shrouded in mystery to kind of get you thinking and kind of get you really invested in this story. And I think, you know, Marv and then, of course, the artwork here, you know, did a great job of that, but. You know, uh, back at uh, Georgetown College, uh, the the fires are going berserk here. And well, I can tell you right now, I don't want to be anywhere near fire to begin with. And I certainly don't want to be anywhere near fire if I'm buck naked. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So Donovan's like, Marianne, for God's sake, break out the fire extinguishers. And here's where we meet Marianne, who is his wife that I didn't know at first. if It was just his girlfriend, his wife, a student that was hot for him. I wasn't sure at first. Uh, But, you know, she's there and she's buck naked, too, with all these college students, by the way, which is a little disturbing. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I get it. You're the professor there, uh, Donovan. But your wife there, too? That's kind of creepy, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they uh, they get the fire extinguishers out and put the fire out and back at the hospital. uh, You know, things are calming down a little bit for uh, uh, Vanessa. But, you know, it's just it's interesting. They do make mention this time too. one of the orderlies says. She didn't hurt herself, yet look, just as always, she's covered with fresh blood. And Dr. Rabin says, and there are no open wounds. So that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure what to think of that there. You know, that made me think, so is that pink stuff blood? and Is it flying around for real? Like, why can't anybody else see it? Again, it's a bit of a mystery there,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's a a good horror element, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, blood is scary and creepy, and she's covered in it, but it's not hers, right? You know, so where did it come from? Uh, You know, that's the next question you ask yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Dr. Rabin picks up the phone because she knows she has to do what uh, she doesn't want to do, which is call the Baron to see if he can help out. And I love her dialogue here. She says, uh, he bothers me, annoys me. He's always there like some blasted pimple that will not go. <laughs> Man, she really hates him. Yeah, yeah. He's a rube. He's a charlatan. He's a pimple now. Like, yeah. wow. <laughs> but yeah, back at his mansion, uh, he's doing his interview with Jack. And Jack says to him, Sir, so you actually think you're helping people with all this mystical crap? And <laughs> the Baron, are you always so vulgar, Jack? Is, is that how you were? Is that why you were let go from Time Magazine? And he's like, how did you know I worked there? And then here we go again. I think this is at least the third, if not fourth time the phone interrupts. And Baron <laughs> Winters, you know what I mean? He's already pissed off and doesn't like the phone company. So it good luck. This is gonna, not going to end well. He's going to tr- like trash this phone sometime. <laughs> I don't know, he'll flush it down the toilet or something. Yeah. He's really pissed because it rings. And he's like, oh, it's Dr. Rabin. And he's like, oh, a problem with Vanessa. And he says, I'm afraid I'm tied up we charlatans have to work too, you know, and then he refers her to go see Dr. Donovan Kane and says, you'll like him. And I thought that was interesting that, you know, at this point there was no connection between the Baron and Dr. Kane, but you know, here we are, it's only issue one and they're making that connection already that, uh, they know each other, or he at least knows of him and that he's into parapsychology. So, you know, go take her to see him. So I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen then? And, um, we go back to uh, the college, and <laughs> there's Marianne and Donovan and all the people with the you know uh, things hooked up to them to the equipment to see what's going on here and there's some interesting dialogue here when uh, 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 Kane reveals that you know the government you know is you know basically paying him to conduct these experiments and try to figure out what's going on and trying to basically harness evil It's called Project Satan, but he doesn't say harness Satan. They say harness evil. So I don't know if they're kind of playing fast and loose here. If those, they think those are two separate things, or if that is one thing, I'm not sure what they're going for with that.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, clearly we've seen, you know, demons and he already has said they're performing a satanic baptism. Uh, so I don't know if they're trying to harness the actual power of the devil. But I do like that he I mean, he says, I believe that the concept of evil is a tangible one. The results of an energy force, one we can tap into, possibly even control and therefore eliminate. So he is doing this, you know, I'm doing evil. uh, you know um, rituals, in hopes of finding a way to stop there from being evil. And then, of course, like two sentences down, they're like, "Yeah, but don't you think they're just going to weaponize this <laughs> <laughs> because they probably?" <laughs> know, right? So. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good. Good assumption on that girl's part. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. So it's interesting. So he says, "Class dismissed," and everybody kind of heads for the hills. And then we see. Yeah, that, you know, I think he does at this point say about Marianne being his wife. And they have some kind of creepy dialogue here. So they're out at the car and she says, you know, you have students transfixed, especially that cute redhead. His wife says this to him and he says, I can't help it, honey. I'm irresistible to teeny boppers. She says, you always were. Remember, I was your student, too. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, we're already going down a road here. Yeah, yeah. Then he says, with straight A's, the redhead is a C-minus at best. And her response to that is, psychically or physically? And he goes, can I plead the fifth?
3: <laughs> I'm like, wow.
2: I'm not sure about that, man. I'm not sure how believable that dialogue is with
3: uh, <laughs> your your wife. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just another scene that if my mother had read, she would have stopped me from reading <laughs> my <God>. um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it is um, you know the fact that she was his student um, is uh, a little bit creepy. Um, But just a reminder that redhead she's talking about is the one that was talking to the guy in the chair in the preview, right? So if Mm -hmm. you read the preview, you know this is the plant for whoever this bad guy is.
2: Yeah. Skipping ahead a couple of panels, we see her at the bottom making another phone call to whoever this person is, saying it's oh, it's reporting on Donovan Kane. He's bought it, sir. From what I can tell, they won't have any problems with him. He doesn't seem to suspect a thing because, as him and his wife are having this uh, creepy conversation in the parking lot here, these two gentlemen walk up and say, Dr. Kane, I'm Carrie James from the Pentagon. This is Trevor Simmons. I'm sorry we're late. We had some car trouble earlier. Your project has attracted some foreign interest, and we're here to guard you. And if you read those, you know, the dialogue within the first couple of pages there when that car was heading, uh, out and got shot into the uh, Potomac River there, I would assume, by that chopper, those two guys said their names were Kerry and Trevor. Yes. Which that made you think, wait, what? And we obviously did for sure saw Kerry die because he got shot to pieces. We didn't see the other guy die, but you know the car went off and into the, the river at a pretty good clip there. So it's a safe assumption he's dead too. But that's interesting because you're thinking to yourself, Okay, so now what's going on? Are they these guys, like, wearing some kind of disguises? Are they some kind of demonic beings that can shapeshift? Like, your mind's going to go into, like, you know, multiple places here trying to figure this out.
3: Yeah, it's funny because I will say that when I reread these issues uh, for this podcast, I said, oh, so maybe that scene at the beginning was like a flash forward that we were doing, uh, you know, we're not, we're doing nonlinear storytelling. We've been introduced to Mm -hmm. these guys here in this parking lot and they're going to die sometime in the future. And then I said, no, that can't be it. And so it's like, oh, these must be just people who are saying that they're these guys, right? Because when, when those first guys were killed, somebody else was like, now it's up to the others. But this is part of the problem is that in that opening scene where they get killed we really don't see them right so we can't tell that these two guys are not them because we don't know what those first guys looked like which so i was confused too
2: yeah there's only one panel where you can kind of get a profile shot of both of those guys and they look similar and the one guy has glasses but yeah it really doesn't know you don't know if they're exact dupes or if they're just yeah yeah, these these other stand-ins here with you know fake badges they bought it like the dollar store or something here you don't know what's going on but yeah. it's it it's it's definitely intriguing I, again it, it added another layer to this when again it's uh, we're only a preview and you know 80 through issue one here and there's already several layers to this which you know again marv was trying to tell a story that was going to be seven or eight issues long so he, he it's definitely playing the long game here but it's good stuff
3: completely agree
2: So, yeah, back uh, over, we see uh, Jack heads over to the hospital here. I think uh, Baron Winters might have pointed him in that direction and said to go uh, visit Vanessa Van Helsing. So he meets up with Dr. Rabin here and says that, you know, know, Baron Winters sent him, basically, and she's just like, I don't like the Baron. (laughs) Like, what do you want here? I don't like the Baron. You know, she kind of is, you know, very cold towards him, and he's just like, look, the, the Baron's not my friend. I'm just here on business. I'm writing this story. And he thought maybe I could talk to Vanessa and, you know, uh, get something for this uh, article I'm writing from her as well. And, again, I just you just got to suspend a little bit of belief here because I don't care how profile high profile a magazine is or newspaper or whatever. They're not just letting people into, uh, you know, psychiatric hospitals to talk to people, especially people that are showing violent tendencies. (laughs)
3: Yeah. She is completely out of control, so it's unlikely that they would just be like, okay, let's leave this man alone with her in the room, right? Uh, so you do have to kind of suspend your disbelief a bit.
2: Yeah, a couple of days earlier, she was like gnawing on the floor and ripping yeah,
3: on the floor with her mouth.
2: I don't think it's a good idea to lock him in there with her, but uh, they do, and uh, they just have like a little quick conversation. And she basically is like, you know, I'm not crazy. Something's going on. I, I want to get out of here. Can you help me get out of here, please? And Jack's just like, I'll try, Vanessa, I'll do my best. And you can kind of see something here already, you know, and especially if you read the next issue, looking back on this, uh, you can kind of see already Jack is. I'm trying to use not use too harsh of words here because Vanessa is really upset and she's, you know, she does need help. But I'm thinking to myself, dude, she's in a psychiatric hospital and she's crying and she's emotionally a wreck and this and that. And he kind of like brings her in and like kind of hugs onto her here. And it's like, you can already kind of see him. I feel like in his brain, like thinking, uh, maybe this will lead to something else
3: down the road. Yeah. And remember she's 20. He looks Mm -hmm. like 40, right. You know, or Mm -hmm. like lived a hard life. Uh, but, but given what we know about him being having an ex wife and already having kids and things like that, at the very least, he's got to be, you know, 15 years older than her. And here she is in this, like, you know, emotionally distraught state. It is a little bit. Uh, we know what we know about Jack. Um, and and so it, it is a little bit creepy.
2: Yeah, because you figure if like a family member came to visit her and they reacted this way and, you know, held on to her like that, you'd be like, OK, great. You know, that's somebody that's, you know, showing compassion and love for a, a family member or a close friend even. But he literally just met her like <laughs> two minutes ago. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hmm that's, that's again, another indicator that this guy's not the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the white knight <laughs> yes, for sure. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, Dr. Raven shows up and she's like, uh, you have another visitor and she's like, is it the Baron? And it's not, it's our buddy here, uh, Donovan Kane. And he comes in and, uh, shakes hands with our buddy Jack and, you know, makes mentions about him working for a tabloid. And, uh, that obviously doesn't uh, sit well with Jack cause he's, obviously sensitive about it because he used to work for a big paper and his life's kind of in a shambles and he works for a, a, a rag magazine now, basically. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting there, but yeah, Donovan, I don't know how he pulled this off. I don't know if the the, the Pentagon who's kind of funding him did this or what, but he basically comes in and tells Dr. Rabin that, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Kane from uh, the college and I'm a parapsychologist and I'm going to be taking Vanessa out of here. And I'm like, wait, what, how do you do that? But, Again, if he's got some kind of pull being, you know, in with in league with uh, the federal government, maybe they can, you know, say that she's going to get transferred out of there. I'm not sure about the, the legality there.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I didn't even think about the fact that it could be the government that is sponsoring Project Satan because I thought, you know, Barron is the one that said, oh, she should meet Donovan Kane. So I was like, I don't know, does Barron have some sort of like authority over her as like a family friend that he can like sign these papers for him because he's trying to get all of these people together. Um, uh, But it probably makes more sense that the feds gave him that authority.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm thinking they had, you know, some paperwork on him and said, hey, just hand this in, you'll be able to take her out of there. But yeah, that's kind of wild. And it's interesting, you know, Dr. Rabin does, Seem to genuinely be concerned about her and, you know, walks her out to the car and says, if there's any trouble, please, you know, reach out to me, come find me, this and that. But they take off out of there. And this is, you know, Donovan and he's got Vanessa with him in his uh, fancy sports car here. I don't know if it's a Porsche or what it is. It looks really nice. But (laughs) Jack says, you know, hey, I got nothing better to do. He uh, I'll I'll follow them. So (laughs) Donovan here, he doesn't waste any time, man. You know, he drives from the hospital, like across town to the college. And the next thing you know, they are inside the college and they're at the crazy room. Uh, there's the pentagram on the floor and Donovan's already in his robe and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, "Don't worry, honey. We're just going to hook you up to a couple devices and uh, strap you down to a floor that has a pentagram on here. It's all
3: going to be okay." And she's just
2: like, "What?" Yeah, it's
3: funny because he, you know, he says outright what we have like probably figured out already, right? I think mm-hmm. that the attacks that you're having Happen in conjunction with me doing my experiments, so I think we need you to be here and uh, and see if you're tapping into all of this evil energy. And she's like, if that means that I'm not crazy, do it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. she's just she just doesn't want it, right? She wants people to believe her, right? Yeah. She keeps saying I'm not crazy, and so if that means you know, tie me down to a pentagram, uh, I'm down for it.
2: Yeah, she basically, you know, believes that he's in has her best interests and finding out what's going on here. So she's like, all right, let's do it, pal. And I love how after that last panel on page 24 there, we switch to another one. And it says 18 minutes later, less than two miles away, the desolate streets of Georgetown. (laughs) You see a biker blasting down the street and he's littering. I don't know if he's got a can of beer there or what he's throwing. And we can see as he's heading towards a manhole, some of that, you know, pink uh, smoke coming out of there. And as he's uh, throwing his uh, beer can there, it kind of starts enveloping him. And then I love that next panel. It's completely black. And you just hear him scream, yeah! yeah. And I'm like, wow, the poor biker, he just bit the bullet.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's one thing this isn't, you know, lacking, it's, uh, you know. Uh, innocent bystanders getting killed uh, you know we've already seen no four or five of them
2: yeah well again i, I was keeping track here so between the preview and now this issue uh, the body count is up to five there's already <laughs> five dead people so uh, get get ready for issue two here there's gonna be lots yeah, more, yeah. so <laughs> then we go back to uh the baron here he's in his garden walking around with merlin and he's like it begins merlin my players are in place I've pulled all the correct strings and now the rest is up to fate and come my friend, let us await that fate together. And, you know, they go back into the house and uh, here we, uh, here we go. That's the end of uh, issue one. So again, big picture. What did you think now after the preview and issue one here?
3: Um, I think um, that I'm very glad that I read the preview because I think between the preview and this, you really get a full flavor. I wonder if I read this alone, if I would be like, I'm so lost, what the heck's going on? I think that, like you said, the first half is a little bit slow, and then the second half, you like, you go from 20 to 90, right? Like you mm-hmm. really rapidly progress the story here. But I do think it is there's a lot to chew on here and a lot that you're like, I wonder what all of this is, means and how it's all going to come together. But God bless Wolfman. By the end of issue one, these three agents are together in the same room, right? You know, he is, mm-hmm. he is really pushing things forward. This is not decompressed in any way.
2: Mm-hmm. yep yep totally agree so all right well let's move on to night force number two september 1982 and uh this is uh gene colon and dick giordano on the cover again and uh same same, same cast as before with one uh, uh, exception on the interiors we have marv wolfman you know writer editor gene colon penciler bob smith inker uh john Costanza, letterer and then we have adrian roy as the colorist who was a staple at dc i know i've Seen a lot of uh, colors with uh, uh, that uh, credit to them there. So, yeah. So, okay. So, what do you think of this cover here now for uh, issue number two?
3: Well, we're like getting right down to it, right? Again, um, uh, you know, I don't know if this was exactly at the time of the Satanic Panic, right? But this was like Mm -hmm. when Dragons was first starting out and people were worried about this sort of stuff. And it is Vanessa. On a pentagram with unholy alch- uh, alchemy symbols all around her and a demon just, uh, you know, it does not look like Donovan's wife is long for this world. So so real good horror stuff here. The, you know, that demon is pretty scary looking.
2: Yeah, fantastic cover. I love it. I love everything about it. The only thing that kind of threw me off for a second was uh, the demon is green this time. A couple yeah. of different shades of green instead of pink, which I got to be honest, I actually like this a little bit better, I think. Um, So I don't know why they made that choice, but it still looks fantastic. It's a great cover. It's it's creepy because like there's poor Vanessa laying on this pentagram and this green demonic figure is basically it it looks like coming out of her mouth and her fingertips is where the, the smoke is emanating from. It looks really creepy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Great cover. Certainly one that would be eye catching on the rack.
2: Yeah. And I did forget to mention, too, in these first two issues, uh, the, the Night Force logo at the very top in the O of the word force is a skull, which is pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good touch there. So. All right. Well, let me just jump into it here, do a real quick synopsis, and then uh, we'll uh, get into the uh, first page here. So uh, Baron Winter continues to manipulate events to bring together the members of his Night Force. Donovan and Marianne Kane continue their mystic tests on Vanessa and raise a demon with disastrous results. And uh, so, yeah, again, broad stroke there, but uh, pretty pretty accurate here. So, all right, open this up, and boom, here yeah. we go. Here more naked people.
1: <laughs>
2: this is fantastic. So, again, we've got uh, sort of what we see on the cover, but not quite at the stage where the demon is uh, going berserk yet, but there's uh, poor Vanessa, you know laying down there on the pentagram, and this one's called The Burning Hand, and I got one, two, three, four, five naked people, and it almost looks like Donovan got naked this time, which is new. Usually he kept his robe on.
3: Yes, he definitely is holding his robe down by the side. He is definitely naked right there, just like basically standing over Vanessa's head.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I thought we were going to have to go uh, X-rated there for a second. You're like, there's Donovan naked, holding his, and I'm like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah Fantastic. man but yeah again it's it's not uh anything you know out of out of control or anything like that i think gene and then bob smith here did a good job with this even with you know it's like what do you what do we need to draw this week marv well let's just draw a bunch of naked people again and they're probably <laughs> like oh boy here we go <laughs> but yeah i love when you turn the page here so Pages two and three. It's basically one of these deals where it's like a two thirds splash over both of the pages. And along the top, we have what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight panels, four on each page. And they're basically, you know, more of this insane dialogue, which you had mentioned some of it earlier, which sounds, I don't know, if there's any other way to say it. Very sexual. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much so. You want to. You want to comment on some of that? Yeah, you
3: know, I mean, it's like deep-rooted primal fears come gushing to the surface with volcanic abandon, right? Like that's like fl- mm-hmm. slash, you know, slash pick, you know, you know, sing of the devils in your souls, bring forth the darkness and the lusts. I mean, you know, uh, a vessel mm-hmm. which overflows with demonic brew. It's it it really is heavy. But I'll tell you when paired with when paired with the art, which is all of these like writhing, sweaty people, somehow it works.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, passions are inflamed. And that <laughs> caption is above a woman that's like screaming. and I'm thinking, what was Marv, like, where did he get this dialogue from? Almost like he was, at the VHS store in the naughty section and he was looking <laughs> at the descriptions or something. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh, he did start out this issue. I forgot to mention with, you know, something a lot of bronze age writers used to do, uh, put like a quote, a literary quote on the, uh, first page. And this is a, a Shakespeare quote. It says, is this a dagger, which I see before me, the handle toward my hand, come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not. And yet I still see thee and art thou not. Fatal vision sensible to feeling as to sight, or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heart-oppressed brain? Uh, William Shakespeare there. So I love that. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I love purple prose, and I love quotes. I, I will all admit it. <laughs>
3: Yes, it's very Roy
2: Thomas, isn't it? Mm-hmm. oh, big time. Yeah, I think Engelhart did it a few times too. It's like,
1: yeah, even
2: even Conway. It's like, man, those guys really love that. And I think a lot of that though does play to the fact that late '60s and then of course uh, early '70s, it was like, hey, these aren't just kids comics. Let's 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 write for teenage, early '20s kind of crowd as well. So I think they were trying to, you know, push comics in that direction by putting those in as well.
3: Agreed.
2: Agreed. Okay. So, yeah, now we got, again, Vanessa, these crazy, now they're pink and blue kind of demonic uh, things coming out of her mouth and eyes and fingertips, her feet. Yeah. That's a really disturbing image there. And then you switch to this quiet scene right outside the door where Jack is, and he's, like, kind of just standing there. It was smoking, of course. And then here comes Marianne and their son, I imagine. I'm thinking, I don't know that this is the place for a child.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Let's go see what daddy's doing at work, right? You yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't think ch- children and youth might need to look into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Crazy though. But you know, they have a little short conversation and she basically says to Jack, Hey, pal, you know, don't lose your patience. It might be a while. Sometimes he's in there a long time. And He says about being bored, and then he kind of asks her about, like, you know, how long have you been married or whatever? And she's like, well, we've been married three years, but we've been together about six. And then all of a sudden, those two agents come busting in and say, how's Dr. Kane doing, Mrs. Kane?" And she says, oh, how should I know, Mr. James? You two are the ones keeping tabs on him, so you can tell she's not liking these two guys. And you tell me how many times has he blown his nose today? (laughs) Yeah. So she's not a big fan of the two of them, uh, saying they're protecting him, but basically just tagging along all around, no matter where they go and what they do. And they don't seem to really like Jack either. So there's a little bit of tension there between them and Jack and then even, uh, Donovan's wife. And then all of a sudden it gets interrupted by a scream. And I like this panel at the very bottom of page five, where Jack says, what's came doing to her. And he heads for the door and the uh, one, uh, Uh, Pentagon guy that's maybe really not a Pentagon guy. The one agent there says, hold it right there, gold. Don't open that door. But he's not close enough to grab him. So he goes in the door and wow, I was just like blown away on page six here. It's very exorcist looking the way uh, you see uh, Vanessa laying there on the uh, pentagram. What do you think?
3: Yeah, it is a full blown, full blown splash of like all of these crazy demons just oozing out of her. We see one of the dancing students is kind of like enveloped in in one of these things. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, I've I've really talked a lot about the coloring in in this book, which I think is outstanding. It's like Mm -hmm. all of the people who have like all of the people are in yellow tones,
1: which Mm -hmm. stands
3: out in such stark contrast to, again, these like pale blue and magenta demons that it 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 just really pops right off the page. Yeah,
2: fantastic job here. Yeah, great call out of, you know, use of shadow and the light. Yeah, like you said, some of them are in like, it's like a yellow and then like an orange almost, you know, because of these like seemingly pulsating kind of lights and stuff like that. Oh, it's great. It's interesting, too. Like you said, the one student looks like it's about to get ripped in half by a demon, and I love the caption at the bottom there. And for a very brief moment... He knows how Adam must have felt while contemplating Eden's fabled apple. I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. And again, yeah. I love how they switch to just, you know, a random street close by in uh, Georgetown here. And there's just people walking up and down the street, minding their own business. And one of the like uh, street lamps explodes, glass goes flying everywhere. A couple of people, like a man and a woman get like overturned and they're flying around. It's like, uh oh! Like the 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 crap's really hitting the fan here. And then again, those demons start coming out of nowhere. I don't know if they're coming out of the manholes, but it, it's it's not going to be good.
3: No. And uh, you know, we turn the next page, and basically they say, you know, it, you know, it's it's children will die tonight. You know. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, we're just seeing there is a lot of cost of human life to all of this stuff that's happening.
2: Mm. Yeah, and then. We do uh, switch back to the crazy uh, college here, and (laughs) it's not good. And uh, Jack, you know, he goes right to Vanessa right away, and he's like, what the hell did you do to her? What are you doing here? And he's like, I need her gold, Donovan says to him. She's the missing link I've been searching for. The government wants me to find a way to tap into the energy we call evil. Well, she's not only the key. She's the whole damned gateway
1: to hell. (laughs)
3: Yeah, you know it's it's funny. You know, it, we already said that Jack isn't exactly like pure as the driven snow as a hero, and Cain certainly right now um, is is not a hero in any sense of the word. Mm. I think right, his yeah. sin is one of like pride. Right, he comes off as like I'm the smartest guy in the room, I know what I'm doing. And and I'm going to, you know, uh, get done what I want. Uh, and I don't care about the rest of you people. So he's 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 pretty self-centered, which um, which I think he pays for um, as we move forward in this issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jack, he grabs Vanessa basically and tells uh, Kane he's taken her out of there. And I don't know what those goofball agents were doing this entire time. But while this is going on, he he does take her out of there. And that uh, Mary McDonald reports to the, uh, you know, the guy in the chair that's in the uh, in the dark that we can't see yet. and You know, he basically is like, eh, no big deal. You know, this is all going to blow up in Jack's face anyway. And I love this next scene too. Uh, we go back to uh, Arlington Memorial Bridge and the police are fishing that car out of the water uh, with the two agents we saw at the beginning of issue one there. And we see they are both dead and they're in there. And I love how the cop says, They've got more holes in them than Swiss cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: And and for the first time we see, they look exactly like the guys that are following Vanessa and Donovan around now, right? So mm-hmm. those guys have either had plastic surgery or great makeup or they're something else.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you Again, you're wondering like what's going on here, but we switch over back to the Georgetown motel where our buddy Jack is staying and. You know, we see him firing up a a heater, of course, Uh, and there's a poor Vanessa. And, you know, she was kind of out of it after the events uh, back at the college. So she's just kind of waking up. And, yeah, here's the creep factor, you know, like turned up to 11 here with Jack. Uh, You know, she is an absolute mess, Vanessa. She's obviously been at a a psychiatric hospital for years. She's uh, just emotionally a wreck. You know, like I said, they mentioned her parents were killed when she's 13 so she is not uh, mentally in a very good spot and she kind of gloms onto jack here and you know we get the impression that they have sex here which is kind of wild cuz like you said he's probably at least at least 15 if not 20 years older than her and she's got all this going on in her life so this kind of really paints jack in a, a pretty bad light
1: yeah yeah
3: and you um... know he just saw demons coming out of every part of her. And yet he's still like, well, you know, I guess I, uh, I'm going to be a lech and I'm going to try to sleep with her. Like, he, I he's horny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know. But, but it's true. You know, there's this wonderful panel at the bottom of page 11 of like 3 mm. of her showing how like emotionally distraught she is and talking about how, you know, like uh, how terrible her life is. And then he's like, well, you know, I like you. And then they like make out, and he they say, or he there's a there's a moment where that like he says he's really rather weak. He he knows he he just can't say no to this, but it's pretty like nobody here, yeah is is Superman right? Nobody here is, is like Truth and Justice. These are all flawed people um, that are being used.
2: Yeah, it's man. Yeah, wow. It's just. <laughs> It's it's crazy. Like he like you said, Wolfman here is portraying him as like, yes, this is one of the lead characters. But yes, he is really uh, like 90 percent of him is not a very good person. You know, there's this tiny bit of him that is because he does want to help her. But this isn't helping her. What goes on here? But I do like you said you called out that panel on page 11 where it shows how emotional she is. We do get a little bit of a peek into uh, Baron Winters uh, through her. Uh, cause Jack asks her about him and she says, oh yeah, like, I've known Baron, the Baron a long time, all my life. My parents knew him before I was born. And she says, funny thing is Jack, I always remember him looking the way he looks now as if he hasn't aged. So that's kind of interesting there, you know, and she kind of says that he never leaves his house. So, you know, not a lot, but there's, there, there's a little bit of a peek inside to, uh, you know, what, uh, Baron Winters is all about.
3: Yeah. It, it, you know, slowly and surely all of these threads are coming together and we're learning more and more and, and you got to credit Wolfman, right? We're in the middle of issue two, right? And, mm-hmm. and already think about how much story you and I have talked about and how many like twists and turns have already happened with these three main characters. Like this is not decompression. This is full on foot to the pedal storytelling.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're not kidding. And uh, again, I didn't expect this to happen either. So that scene, you know, like we know where that's going. And then, boom, we go back to Baron Winter's uh, place. And here comes Donovan Kane and his wife, Marianne. And they come in and tell him what's going on. Almost like reporting to him, which I think is interesting because isn't he supposed to be working for the government? Shouldn't he be reporting to them what's going on? But it, he he doesn't. He goes to Baron Winter's and says what's going on. And I think also because... Maybe they thought Jack brought Vanessa there, but he did not.
3: Yeah, um, uh, it is interesting that that's the first place that they went, and I don't know again um, exactly the connection between these two.
2: Hmm. Yeah. You know they they have some you know pretty you know friendly dialogue you know that they uh, are getting along and they kind of have known each other for a while and I don't want to say work together, but you know they're kind of in the same field of interest. And, you know, they have a drink and they go out to the garden and, you know, they just have some regular old conversation and talk about the experiments and things like that. Nothing too heavy. But then they leave. And I love this part, too. So uh, they leave and Baron Winters goes to his library. And of course, he's got a little secret passage. And he says, there is so much to prepare for Merlin, where I only granted foresight along with my other talents. And he says, come with me, my old friend. And they go in this secret passageway, and you know, the caption boxes from Marv say, They descend the long and winding stairwell to a deep grotto far below Wintersgate Manor. There they are swallowed by the encroaching dark. And that's exactly what's going on there, too. You know, you see them. You can see uh, Merlin's tail and a little bit of the Baron's uh, cape there uh, or a jacket. And you're wondering. What in the heck is down there? You know what I mean? And we don't get that answer by the
3: end of this issue either. So it's one of those other things. It's like,
2: I want to know what's going on down there. You know what I mean? My brain's thinking, I got to know. I hope they show what goes on down there.
3: Yeah, he says as they're going down there, we must see if my enemies are moving just as quickly. So you're saying, does he have something down there where he is spying on them the same way that this guy in the chair has his agent spying on the other? Um, So you're exactly right. What is down there? Yeah. Is
2: it, is it the back cave? Is it a yeah. crystal ball? <laughs>
3: you know, like what is going on
2: down there? So yeah, that's wild. And then finally, and this is something I thought a couple of times, I thought there's a lot of this crazy crap going on. Like where are the cops in Georgetown? But yeah, it's full on at this last, uh, you know, explosion in the town here where these demons went berserk and, you know, went crazy uh, there's cops everywhere and they do kind of put the focus on this one cop, you know, there's a, like a detective, and he says, Detective the regular beat cop says, Detective Short, you ain't seen nothing like you've seen gone over this mess and he's blood everywhere and glass and this and that. And we got a mystery here. And the guy says, OK, let's see what's wrong. And he goes out and says, we got a dozen witnesses who all say the same thing. I tell you, it's one for the books. And he looks on the ground. <clears throat> now, you you might have, be able to explain this to me. There's blood on the ground, or at least it looks like blood. He looks like he puts his fingers into it and says, hmm, we'll see. And he look, puts it to his face, his mouth, his nose. I'm thinking, what is he smelling blood or licking it? What is this maniac cop doing?
3: Yeah, I can only hope that he's smelling it to see if it smells like blood and not like anything else. But but you're right. Uh, uh, bear, you know, not gloves. He just runs his hand right through a puddle <laughs> of blood.
2: So it's creepy. And then yep. honestly, and honestly, he looks more like Carl Kolchak than he does a detective. But
3: yes, yes. And they, <laughs> and they do say, uh, you know, the the beat cop says like, this is one that's right up your alley. So now you're wondering, oh, is this like the cop that is like the conspiracy theory cop who, who um, uh, has has been involved with cases like this before? And that's why he knows all of these signs. Um, mm-hmm. So just another character to try to follow.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty neat. So. Then we get uh, Donovan Kane here and his wife. They're blasting down the street in his sports car. You know, they left uh, Baron Winters' place and they're heading to, you know, we don't know yet if it's back to the college, is their house, whatever. And they're being followed, of course, by the two agents, you know, air quotes agents, because we know they're not who they say they are. And there's some uh, crazy little uh, uh, dirty talk, some sex talk yeah. here again with Donovan and his wife. She's like, Well, if they're going to follow us around and watch us, let's give them something to look at. (laughs) I found that pretty hilarious, but Donovan's like, all right, honey, calm down. Like that's, that's that's not happening right now. And I did forget to mention as they were leaving, the Baron said, Oh yes, Jack's not here. He's at this, you know, sleazy motel. Here's the address. And he had to know what was going to go on here. And I don't mean Jack and what he did with Vanessa but how Donovan was going to react to seeing them at this motel. He had to know what was going to go down here. So I feel
3: like he's
2: kind of antagonizing this situation a little bit.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah, he, he, he has put these three together, but he hasn't told them any of his plans. He's just hoping it's going to unfold the way that he wants. And so, you know, Donovan and Jack are not friends by any means. Uh, and so uh, they're not going to work together. In fact, they're going to fight. You know, uh, that's what happens here
2: hmm. Yeah. So Donovan, you know, comes in the door and there's Jack and he I don't know if he has a sheet around himself or a towel or something. And uh, of course, Donovan's just like, you know, why are you half naked? Where's Vanessa at? And then she comes out of another door and she's half naked, too, like wrapped in a sheet or something. And sock you filth. He punches him right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. And then we got our two buddies outside the agent's. Uh, They're watching this because, you know, Donovan clobbers him and grabs her and uh, takes her with him in the car. And the agents are watching and they say, do we take her? And the other guy says, not here later at the school. So they've got a plan here. And then we have our buddy Jack reminiscing about getting punched in the face. And, you know, he's kind of getting pissed off and says he's going to quit this story because now, you know, he's getting punched in the face over it. So (laughs) the phone rings and surprise, surprise, it's the Baron which, you know, for how much he says he hates phones, he spends a lot of time on the phone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to say, but, you know, he does say to him, uh, he basically says she's in danger. So he's saying, hey, listen, you know, I didn't realize how much, you know, in danger Vanessa is. Like, you got to find her, you got to help her. She's in danger. So whatever he saw down in the Batcave, it really, you know, shook him up a bit that something bad is about to happen. And uh, he's right on the money and, We see uh, outside the college, the two agents here are snipping the uh, phone wires. And then on the inside, uh, Donovan says, are you ready to begin, Vanessa? And she's kind of like, you know, yeah, sure. Why not, man? (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, things just go absolutely berserk when this goes on. Why not? Right. Yeah, let's let's fire up all the equipment again and uh, cause complete havoc. Why not?
3: (laughs) Yeah, he really has like a one track mind, you know, like he Mm -hmm. he, uh, he is is ready to go right back at it. Um, uh, which I guess, if if the government's breathing down your neck for results, and you think you figured out how to do it, I guess you you get right back to it. But was he not there? Did he not see all of the demons on page two coming out of her, or um, or did he forget that?
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he almost reminds me of uh, like uh, Peter Cushing's character in the Frankenstein films, Doctor Frankenstein. He's just very uh, single-minded with. Uh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it and I don't care what the cost is to do it. I want to you know, make a make a a man, make a human, you know, from all these body parts. And if I have to kill people in the meantime or
3: whatever, it's just oh
2: well, that's collateral damage. He can just look right past it. He kind of reminds me of that.
3: Yes, uh, that's that's the whole thing. He is um, com- he ha- doesn't care about anything other than completing this project um, and and that's his flaw.
2: Mm -hmm. So now the crap really hits the fan here. We have the crazy experiments going on with Kane and Vanessa inside the college. We have the two uh, fake agents showing up and this time, you know, they mean business because they're just about to bust in the door and they have their pistols drawn and Jack is just about pulling into the parking lot as well. Um, So yeah, here, here we go. And inside again, we're seeing some of the same scenes where there's Vanessa laying there and the demons start coming forth and, all of a sudden, the crazy fake agents bust in the door. And the one says, oh, my God, do you see it? And he says, don't shoot, you fool. So this one agent gets so spooked that he tries to shoot. And I don't know if he thinks he's shooting at Vanessa or he's shooting at one of the demons. But he does.
3: It looks like hit her in the arm or shoulder, right? Right. Right. And the whole thing about, thing, about this is I think they are there to get her, right? So, like, mm-hmm. why he would ever shoot her. That would be against his boss's plan. So I think you're right. I think he is just spooked, uh, like because they say the mists congeal and take form and substance. And it is this demonic face just above her. And so I think if you walk in and see that and you got a gun, you're probably going to shoot.
2: Yeah, it's not good, too, because there she lays now with her bloody arm. And it almost looks like in that panel on page 22 at the bottom right that, uh, something's tugging on her arm. So I don't know if it's the agents or what. And then we see two naked people in the background that are kind of getting surrounded by these uh, demonic forces. And then uh, page 23 at the very top. I don't know if this was the choice, I would assume, of the colorist, but you know the glowing candle is right in the face of Donovan and his wife, Marianne, and their eyes are stark yellow. That's yeah. an interesting uh, twist there. I, at first I thought, what, are they getting possessed or something like that? But I, I think it's just the candle effect there.
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is a bat, crap, crazy scene, right? Mm-hmm. And so is it that just, you know, they have become part of whatever is happening? It does make them look a little bit like inhuman and even scarier. Um, but, uh, but you're right, the candle is right there. And so you can play it however you want your mind to play it, That they're, that they're part of the problem or they're just getting the reflection of the light.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because then Jack hears screams from outside. And he goes running in, and the two fake agents are like, you know, what's going on here? And in the meantime, the demon grabs uh, Donovan's wife, Marianne, and <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it grabs her like it, you know, it's not going to be good. And we see three naked people, and <laughs> the one in the background, it looks like she's doing some kind of ballet. Yeah. And the other two look like they're just like trying to jump out of the way, or they're falling down, or break dancing, or something. I don't know what they're doing, but it's a wild looking panel, and you can really see the the, the fear on Donovan's face, you know, because you know he does love his wife, and it's just like man, he sees her grabbed by this demon, and it's not that it's something horrific as far as you know her getting torn to shreds or something like that, but you see this ethereal demon, and it has her in its hand. And it almost looks like on the top of page twenty-four that it's you know like pulling her towards its mouth, and then she just gets like enveloped, and you see her hand, and then it, that's it. It like it slips away, and she's gone. And Donovan's face at the bottom of the page there is just like in shock.
3: Yes, and so you know uh, in the panel right after. Um, Vanessa gets shot we see these two people getting grabbed and they say you know plasmic tendrils sweep through burning its way through all that it touches within seconds two have died so two there and then in the panel when they grab Marianne again it's like one more dies and then her remember the title of this story was The Burning Hand and then it says Mm -hmm. he sees her framed frozen in time held in that damned burning hand he loves her so much and then She is going to die and then she's gone, right? Like there's nothing there at all. And so this is it. He was, I am going to do this experiment no matter what. Even though I've seen all of the stuff that it has caused before, I'm going to do it one more time. And now his wife is dead, right? You know, so Mm -hmm. he has brought this on himself.
2: Yep, absolutely. So final page, we have, you know, Jack, he sees... Uh, the two agents with, I would assume Mary uh, uh, Vanessa uh, van Helsing, they go tearing out of there. Cause you don't see her anywhere here at the end. Yeah. So I-, I almost assume they have her and they go tearing out of there. And Jack says, I don't get it. That's the agent's car. Why are they taking off like a bat out? of?" And he goes, hell. And he looks in and you know, a uh, great uh, deal there with uh, you know, the word and the situation there. Cause there's the pentagram on the floor, fire everywhere, dead bodies everywhere. And, you know, there's the only person alive still in the room is Donovan Kane, And he's there with it almost looks like just like a pile of ashes, maybe. It actually almost looks like hay. But <laughs> I think it's supposed yeah. to be more like ashes or something. And maybe his his wife's, you know, burned up, charred remains.
3: I think that's what it is. I think he is sifting through the ashes of his mm. day. Right. Because his hand, his head is in his hand. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the consequence of his actions.
2: Yeah. So fantastic. So, all right. Well, any, any, uh, last thoughts on this uh, last issue
3: we're going to cover here today? No, I mean, if you think about it, we basically covered two and a half issues we've been talking for two hours and I am like <laughs> worn out just based <laughs> upon the amount of story that I've been pushed in here. But, but honestly, I got to tell you like kudos to Wolfman, right? Because these mm. are dif- disparate characters. These are not characters that should be hanging out with each other in any sort of way. They're all, mm. you know, uh, on different paths in life. And, he uses winters to bring them together, and we're stuck in the middle of this crazy horror story that I don't know what's happening. I have an idea of what's happening, but but all of this just makes you want to read more, right? I mean, he has really mm-hmm. done a great job of reeling me in as a reader
2: yeah, and the, the body count is at least thirteen at this point. At so at least thirteen. yeah, <laughs> a pre, a preview. and you know, depending on how many people died in the streets of Georgetown <laughs> mysteriously, we're looking at at least thirteen people dead, and it's only a preview and two issues in. So yeah. Marv Marv was really upping the body count here. But yeah, again, it's just it, there's a lot going on, so it kind of feels like a little bit of a slow burn sometimes, but it's good stuff. It's good dialogue. It keeps you engrossed in it, and the artwork to me is just fantastic. It's, this is what Gene Colan did best. Whether it was *Tomb of Dracula*, whether it was this or the the Batman detective stuff he did—shadows, demons, uh, horror, uh, just suspense, thriller kind of stuff. That's what he was born to do, and it's it's on full display here.
3: Yeah, I wish that we could see if this was done um, that. You know, was this like full script or did Wolfman just tell uh, Colin, you know, go to it. I trust you. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because because it's you're exactly right. You think of Gene Colon, you think of this sort of stuff uh, and he just shines here.
2: Yeah, it's really fantastic. So. Yeah. So, wow, man. So, yeah, that's the plan. We're going to go forward here and do like three issues basically in a clip. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see how this goes. And like I said, I'm going to not read ahead only until, uh, I'm going to just jot down my notes and read, you know, right before we're going to uh, sit down and record. And, uh, I think that's going to be great. Cause you know, you've been reading this and read this long time ago and, uh, I've been a fan of it for years and I've been more of a recent fan and finally getting a hold of it. So yeah, really looking forward to this. Um, so why don't we, uh, talk about you right now so you have got some stuff going on on uh, uh, the interwebs here so why don't you talk about that quick you uh you're blogging
3: yeah um i run a supergirl fan site called uh, comic box commentary if you type supergirl blog in your google search bar you'll find me i've been running it now hard to believe you know 14 years and it really is you know Supergirl focused but I do cover Legion of Superheroes and all of the Superman books and other little side trails so um, and I'm very active on Twitter uh, mostly about comic book stuff but other stuff as well and you can find me there at uh, Dr. ange 70.
2: Yeah, you have a huge back catalog of stuff on your blog to check out. And it's all superhero, super family, Superman family, Supergirl family related. Yeah. Like I said, Legion 2. You know, as of this recording, uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El number 14. So you have classic stuff on there, new stuff on there. You run the whole gamut on that site.
3: Yeah, I try to I try to touch upon all the facets of history, and and if there's a story that's happening nowadays that reminds me of stuff in the past, I try to say like let's look back at something that happened that was similar to this. Um, so uh, I really enjoy it. It's a good creative uh, outlet for me.
2: Yep, absolutely, man. So yeah, everybody get out there and check it out. Uh, like you said, it's ComicBoxCommentary.blogspot.com, and then uh, give uh, Dr. Ange a follow. It's at at Dr. Ange. That's A N J seventy. On Twitter. So, all right, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being on here. This was a blast. I cannot wait to dig into the next three issues and uh, talk about them and see where we're going with this. Because again, it's a, it's a slow burn. It's got many different things here. Uh, many uh, many threads we can tug on here. So I'm really really looking forward to it.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those comics that you know um, I like and I like to talk about. So whenever I find somebody who wants to talk about it with me, I'm thrilled. So I can't thank you enough for inviting me.
2: Oh, you bet, man. This has been great. So, again, once again, thank you. Much appreciated. And at this point, I'm going to jump out of here real quick and uh, play a promo and then be back to wrap things up.
0: Next. Michael Audrey Myers shall be tried as an adult for
1: the murder of his sister, Judith Margaret Myers. You fooled him, haven't you, Mike? But not me. It's a holiday you'll remember forever. Halloween
0: night. It's when people play tricks on each other. What about the boogeyman? Death has come to your little town,
1: Sheriff. Jamie Lee Curtis.
3: What's the boogeyman?
1: Donald Pleasance. As a matter of fact, it was. In a film by John Carpenter. Oh, no. Halloween, Next.
0: this episode of the show once again i want to thank dr ranch for being on with me awesome job uh, covering this you know he's got a lot of passion for this one so i love talking to him about it you know get ready we're gonna have two more episodes that we're gonna cover the summoning you know the whole first uh, part of this one and then after that we're gonna move on to uh you know the next uh, two quick little storylines there so everybody stay tuned and uh say thank you for listening in. I really appreciate it. You know, if anybody wants to leave a feedback, you know, you can do that with, you know, the uh, email in the show notes or to me on Twitter or on the Facebook page. And, you know, as always, if you want to leave a review, uh, or on uh, iTunes or Spotify, that would be appreciated as well. So thanks for tuning in.